This is episode number 65 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am the host of your show, John Ziegler. We're broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, brought to you by the Global Story Network, who syndicates this internationally. This is the program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because, frankly, no one else is willing or able to do so. Unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast are not compromised or co-opted. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this show. And uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Individual One Pod. That's at the individual, the number one pod, uh, as well as uh, everywhere else that you possibly can, whether that's uh, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. We love it when you share this program because this is the place where you can actually get the truth about Donald Trump. Now, this particular episode is going to be a little abbreviated. We ask for your patience because this has been one extraordinary week for me. If you want to know all the details of that, check out my other podcast, which is called The World According to Zig uh, Podcast, which you can find on iTunes and uh, on SoundCloud. Uh, but th- this will be abbreviated, but I wanted to at least make sure we did a a shorter version of the podcast because we didn't do one, one on Wednesday because I was uh, very busy on another assignment and because so much has happened in the news, even just within the last 24 hours, which is why we're actually doing this podcast a little bit later on Sunday. Sunday, Los Angeles time than we normally would. The big news, of course, is that uh, the United States has apparently killed al-Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS, who is, by all accounts, one of the very worst human beings uh, ever to walk the face of the planet and uh, no longer is with us. And that is an extraordinarily good thing. Uh, And this happened in the wake of, obviously, all the chaos that's been going on with regard uh, to northern Syria and our partial pullout, although apparently not a a full pullout, uh, because of the situation with Turkey and the Kurds and really what has been a disaster for Donald Trump in so many ways turned around uh, in a very big way over the last 24 hours when U.S. forces uh, killed al-Baghdadi in Syria. Now, this is uh, interesting on a number of uh, fronts, and I, I, let me preface everything I'm going to say about the, the killing of al-Baghdadi by just making it clear that almost nothing you hear in the aftermath of an event like this that occurs halfway across the world can be counted on to be 100% true. It, you just can't do it. I mean, there are still details of, for instance, the bin Laden uh, raid that uh, we're not 100% sure actually happened and were different from what we were originally told. But um, it, it certainly seems more than coincidental that the timing of this would occur right in the aftermath of all this chaos. I mean, you would have thought that if we had this guy dead to rights, we would have done this before all this happened. But there's actually been reporting indicating that the reason why this happened now was because we were about to lose the ability to pull off a mission like that. Of course, that makes me think, well, then why didn't we do this sooner? I mean, if we were going to do something now that we had the ability to do previously, why didn't we do it previously? Well, of course, we don't know. We don't know any of the details yet. All we know, we think, is that al-Baghdadi is dead. Uh, We know this uh, partially because the President of the United States told us so, although... (laughs) 
you know, unfortunately, one of the big problems we have here is that that's not necessarily as good a source as it used to be. Correct. Uh, so, so you know, that might not be good enough, uh, at least not for a lot of thinking people across the world. But it, there's no indication that in this particular case he's lying. He is, of course, doing his second favorite thing when he opens his mouth, which is bragging. And here's what it sounded like when the president of the United States, Donald Trump, announced to the world that, yes, uh, al-Baghdadi had been killed by U.S. forces. Last night, the United States brought the world's number one terrorist leader to justice. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is dead. He was the founder and leader of ISIS, the most ruthless and violent terror organization anywhere in the world. The United States has been searching for Baghdadi for many years. Capturing or killing Baghdadi has been the top national security priority of my administration. U.S. Special Operations Forces executed a dangerous and daring nighttime raid in northwestern Syria and accomplished their mission in grand style. The U.S. personnel were incredible. I got to watch much of it. No personnel were lost in the operation, while a large number of Baghdadi's fighters and companions were killed with him. He died after running into a dead-end tunnel, whimpering and crying and screaming all the way. The uh, whimpering and crying and screaming uh, tidbit... uh found to be particularly interesting i i uh, i take some pleasure in that uh, i also uh, think you know what if if donald trump was ever cornered by u.s forces out to get him he would probably react exactly the same way maybe even worse uh now so no one's going to take issue with the idea that uh, this is a good thing uh it could be a very good thing we don't know for sure uh, what impact it's going to have I do find it interesting that Trump has been telling us as a way of defending himself from what's going on in Syria with regard to him being played by Turkey, that we've already defeated ISIS. Well, if we've already defeated ISIS, then, then why was al-Baghdadi's assassination or killing, uh, why was that needed? Why is it a big deal? I mean, you really can't have it both ways, right? Either ISIS was defeated, uh, and this is not a big deal. This is just cleaning up. Or ISIS wasn't defeated, and this is a big deal because this is a big step in defeating ISIS, right? You can't have it both ways unless, of course, you're Donald Trump, and which that's what you're allowed to do because the right-wing state-run media will allow that to happen, and no one in his cult will actually use their brains to realize the absurdity of that. I love the poorly educated. But I think it's an, at least an important point to, to make because I don't know the significance of this. I don't think anyone does. But it's it's good that it happened. Congratulations to the U.S. Armed Forces. Congratulations to Donald Trump, assuming that uh, he had anything to do with the decision-making here. I'm presuming that he did. It is also interesting to note, not that hypocrisy matters anymore, but one of the foremost critics of Barack Obama taking any credit for the killing of Osama bin Laden was, you guessed it, Donald Trump. Correct. Uh, he did so numerous times uh, in, in in a variety of different uh, venues, particularly on Twitter, where uh, on a number of occasions he mocked uh, Barack Obama for getting any credit 
for uh, killing uh, Osama bin Laden. Uh, because the president doesn't actually do the killing. Uh, you're, you know, he gives a yes or a no uh, in most situations, and then it's the actual U.S. military personnel who do the rest. That doesn't mean Trump doesn't deserve – I mean, you're the, the top guy. If it goes badly, he's going to get blamed. So he deserves credit if it goes well. But there's some other aspects of this whole thing that are, are a little bit weird. And, I, and I'm going to, again, usually when I do an individual one podcast, I have all my ducks in a row. And I, I have been uh, studying everything very carefully all day long. I was not able to do that today. And so it is possible that what I'm about to say has already been discredited. Although I saw an article in the Washington Examiner, which is a conservative source, that was just uh, shortly ago posted that still gives this uh, theory credibility, uh, but it's not trending on Twitter anymore. So I, I, my gut tells me that maybe this has been discredited, but there was a, for a large portion of the day, there was a lot of speculation about whether or not the photo that was put out there of Trump and, uh, and, and those uh, you know, who were there watching this raid, the photo that was put out was actually staged that the photo did not happen contemporaneous with the killing of al-Baghdadi, and that it's possible that Trump didn't even actually see that because he was on the golf course. Now, this was raised uh, by the the um, White House photographer under Barack Obama, who apparently noticed that the timestamp on the photo didn't match when supposedly the raid occurred. So I, I don't know. I mean, you know, with a normal president, I'd go, oh, there's got to be some miscommunication, some misunderstanding, some misinterpretation of, of the facts, or, or someone's just maybe just making something up, and we're being too sensitive, and we're being too prone to taking away uh, what should be a good moment for Donald Trump. However, with this president, I don't I think we're, we're forced. We are forced. This is the price Trump pays for being Trump. Because he's such a pathological liar, because he's such a reality TV uh, uh, creator and producer, this is, is easily understood as being possible. You know, a normal president wouldn't think about doing something like that. They would realize it would be scandalous and not worth the effort. But people can easily see Donald Trump staging a photograph, uh, especially after the, the one of uh, Barack Obama and, and his aides watching bin Laden became so iconic. Uh, so I don't know what the truth of that is. Of that is, I just do know that uh, this is part of the price that Donald Trump pays. Having people speculate about that kind of stuff. You don't want people speculate about that kind of stuff. Then tell the truth on a daily basis. It's really pretty simple. If you, if you, see, this is the price you pay for being a pathological liar. And and so therefore, I don't have a problem speculating about it. I just wish I was able to tell you for sure at this point whether or not it's been debunked or not. I don't know. Uh, my gut tells me that's bizarre, even from Trump's perspective. But anything's possible. Now, speaking of things for which Trump pays a price that uh, he deserves, and that may not be fully understood by a lot of commentators, there's a lot of speculation today about how this is going to impact. His political standing, right? I mean, he's facing impeachment. His approval ratings are still in the dumpster, although they're, they haven't reached uh, uh, Craterville yet. Uh, they're still just above 40% most of the time. And uh, obviously, he's running for re-election. He's going to be the Republican nominee unless he decides not to, to run for re-election. And so, uh, you know, how is this going to impact him politically? And here's what I mean by this is the price Trump pays. 
and this is actually, you know, if you're someone who doesn't like Trump, and I presume most people listening to this podcast don't like Trump, here's the good news. And, and this is not about um, diminishing the, the killing of al-Baghdadi or his role in it. This is about the political realities in which we now face. And that is, it's incredibly frustrating for 364 out of 365 days or thereabouts in any given year during the Trump presidency that almost nothing bad that happens or nothing bad that he does has any real political impact on him. That's incredibly frustrating. But there's a flip side of that coin. And the flip side of that coin is he doesn't get any credit in a positive direction if something goes right. And the reason for that is that we are so polarized and we are so uh, uh, divergent in our opinions about Donald Trump that there is no large number of people who go with the wind in whatever direction a, a big news story goes. We're basically living in a country now where 55% of the people really hate Trump and about 40, 41% of the people really, really like Trump. And almost nothing is going to change their mind about that. And there's only a couple of percentage points in the middle. And those people are probably not paying any damn attention. They probably haven't even heard out back that he got killed. And if they did hear he got killed, they have no idea who the hell he was in the first place. Because he was nowhere near as well as known as Osama bin Laden. So the bottom line of what I'm telling you here is I don't think there's going to be that much significance politically to this we're living in a very short attention span world in a few days this is going to be old news uh now it might have some impact here here's where it will have impact uh it will have some impact with regard to republicans who are very very nervous about whether or not they can stand by trump during impeachment because one of the things you're going to look at if you're a uh, say a republican senator who's going to abandon trump which is highly unlikely but if you're considering it one of the things you're going to look at is, is the, is the government still functioning? Is Trump able to still run the presidency? Are things still in somewhat of a working order? Is he a danger to day-to-day operations? And this is a very strong argument, at least in the short run, that he's not. Because even with a complete buffoon as president of the United States, we were able to take out al-Baghdadi. He didn't screw it up. He didn't stop it. He let it happen. Uh, You know, who knows what the aftermath will be. He might screw up the PR aspect of it. But it happened, and we were able to function. The military functioned. The the chain of command worked. And so that is an important uh, feather in in Trump's cap, As, as low as that is. From a uh, standards perspective, I mean, my God, no one has ever uh, gotten more benefit of low expectations than Donald Trump. But that's important because that's going to be one of the things you look at if you're a Republican senator thinking about jumping ship. Are things still functioning? And the murder of al-Baghdadi proves that they are indeed still functioning. So that's good for Trump. But politically, I don't see any evidence that his popularity is going to take a huge jump or that somehow his reelection effort is going to be uh, enhanced greatly. And and by the way, there may, may be no better proof of that than what happened tonight at the World Series. I mean, game number five of the World Series, Donald Trump is in attendance. It's the Washington Nationals playing against the Houston Astros, and they put Donald Trump up on the screen, and he got roundly booed. Listen to this. I think 
We played there for it was probably longer than we needed to, but the you heard regular cheers getting ready for the game, and then they put Trump's face up on the screen, and that's when you heard clear boos. There were even chants of lock him up. Now, I, it's trending on Twitter as we speak, lock him up. The video I saw uh, of lock him up isn't like the whole stadium is yelling, lock him up. I mean, it, it seems like a, you know, a fairly small number of people that happen to be close to the person with the video camera. But just consider, here's what I want to ask you to do. Can you imagine if after uh, Osama bin Laden had been ki- uh, killed and Barack Obama uh, went to a Washington Nationals baseball game, this is Washington, D.C., in the World Series, uh, what the react? There wouldn't have even been a. It would have been illegal to to boo uh, Barack Obama. Uh, and and these are, by the way, mostly white people. Now, granted, it's Washington D.C. This is Northern Virginia white people. These are very liberal people uh, and and government workers in D.C. So I'm not going to pretend this is a Republican crowd. <laughs> it's not. But uh, that's extraordinary. Extraordinary, given the fact that it's the Washington Nationals that it is literally hours after this news of al-Baghdadi being killed, and it was unambiguous, unambiguous that Donald Trump was getting booed uh, by uh, in public uh, by a baseball crowd. And so, you know, while that doesn't prove anything, certainly nationwide, I think it certainly backs up my argument that you're not going to see any major significant change in Donald Trump's popularity because uh, al-Baghdadi was killed. Now, as far as impeachment is concerned, the big event that occurred uh, this week, at least substantively, was the testimony of Ambassador Bill Taylor, which by all accounts was off the charts and essentially proves it was a quid pro quo with regard to Ukraine and investigating Joe Biden and the origins of the 2016 meddling by Russia and the Russian investigation, I'm sorry, into their meddling in 2016. And, uh, and you know, by all accounts, this was a game changer. The, the, the quid pro quo was going to be proven, at least to anybody with a rational mind. Uh, unfortunately, we're now in a situation where the quid pro quo may not matter because that's what the president's people are saying. It doesn't matter. We, we, it doesn't matter if there's a quid pro quo. We're just going to pretend that uh, getting a foreign government to investigate your political opponent and, and using the leverage of the U.S. military to make that happen is perfectly fine. It's perfectly legal. It's not impeachable. It might not be preferable, but it, it's perfectly uh, within the confines of what is acceptable for a president. And that's absurd. That's absolutely absurd. And, and every Republican deep down knows this. It's just flat out ridiculous. But this is what they have no other choice. The only thing they can do is is acknowledge that what is being alleged is not a big deal. And then they can pretend that the process is all broken. And there was all sorts of process bullshit this week with the House Republicans embarrassing themselves with all sorts of stunts that are based on lies. It's all 
lies. It's all a bunch of lies. None of it is based in truth. There's nothing wrong with the process. Impeachment is not the same thing as a trial. That's what you have in the Senate. That's where there's a trial. This whole business that somehow Trump is being railroaded by an unfair process in the House of Representatives called impeachment is just a lie. And Lindsey Graham ought to know it better than anybody else because he's one of the House impeachment managers during Bill Clinton's impeachment in 1999, uh, 1998, 1999. And it's just unbelievable to me the level of his hypocrisy. And now here he is championing this uh, this resolution in the Senate to condemn the process in the House. It's no, none of their damn business, by the way. You know, when, if they really want to condemn the process in the House, if there was something to condemn, guess what? They're going to have their opportunity. It's called a Senate trial. That's when you condemn it. And you, if you want, go ahead and vote to acquit. But now, you know, this is being done purely to kiss Trump's ass. This is purely to try to to degrade the credibility of the impeachment process. Lindsey Graham would be going nuts if the Democrats had done this with the Bill Clinton impeachment. And what's even more pathetic is about 50 Republican senators have apparently signed on to that resolution. Apparently only three that I'm aware of, Romney, Snow, and Murkowski, the only three with, with the souls strong enough to not sign on to this bull crap. Now, it's a very weak resolution, and, and, and Graham had to weaken it to make sure he got as many people on board as possible, but it's just embarrassing. It's an absolute embarrassment what has happened to the Republican Party and what they're doing on a daily basis now to humiliate themselves, all on behalf of protecting Donald Trump from being impeached when he deserves to be impeached. And there deserves to be a real trial and a determination in a serious fashion as to whether or not we can really have a democratic republic that functions with this man as president and the precedent that would incur if we don't remove him from office. Things that used to matter to people like Lindsey Graham. It's just so sad. It is just so unbelievably sad. We're better than that. Now, for those of you who recognize that voice, that's the voice of Elijah Cummings. He was laid to rest this week with lots of uh, glowing eulogies, including by former President Barack Obama. He was a Democratic congressman. We've played that clip many, many times. Uh, He sadly passed away fairly suddenly. It's just amazing to me how many uh, Trump critics have uh, either passed away or gotten ill or have left the the scene, uh, retired. I mean, it's just it's incredible the luck that he has had in some of his most passionate and credible critics no longer being able to have their voices heard. And I'll miss Elijah Cummings' voice because I liked him. I thought he was pretty cool. And that's part of why we play this clip uh, whenever it's appropriate. We're better than that. Sadly, though, Elijah, I'm not sure that we are. Uh, Along this vein, by the way, John Conyers also passed away today. Another Democratic congressman also happens to be a a leader of the Black Caucus in the House of Representatives. Not as big a fan of John Conyers. John Conyers, uh, not as good a man as Elijah Cummings, not as smart a man as Elijah Cummings, uh, a man who uh, was very corrupt and, and not particularly bright. Uh, But uh, I just wanted to mention that, uh, for the record, uh, he has passed as well. As far as the Democratic process for the the nomination for president to run against uh, Donald Trump, uh, a lot of mixed polling right now. Uh, Nationally, Joe Biden has retaken control. 
in uh, several of the most recent polls. But the state polling is a very different story. And the state polling is really where it matters, especially in Iowa and New Hampshire, which are the two leadoff states. And Biden is not doing well in Iowa at all. And Iowa does not play well for him because it's a caucus state where the crazies rule. Uh, Biden needs the average person to show up to vote. Uh, While uh, Warren is beating him in Iowa, she's now also seeing Pete Buttigieg, uh, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, make up some uh, ground. And he may be having a second moment, Buttigieg. I I can certainly see uh, Buttigieg being a real contender in Iowa. And boy, that would change everything. If he were to win Iowa or come in a strong second, that would potentially, well, it would do a lot of things. But I, I could see a scenario. I mean, I've been saying this is between Warren and Biden, but I can see a scenario, especially since Buttigieg has all sorts of money in the bank, more so than Biden does. I can see a scenario where Buttigieg ends up uh, usurping uh, Biden and taking away a lot of his Midwestern white uh, support. He doesn't have the black support, though. See, that's where the problem is going to be for him. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine how he gets that. It's, I, I mean, stranger things have happened. Uh, I don't think black people are going to support Warren in big numbers. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's the big that's what's holding Biden's campaign together right now. And that, that's why the South Carolina primary is so important to Biden. But there, there is some earth movement going on, and it does appear as if Buttigieg is making a move, uh, which could be very, very, very interesting. As we end, uh, as we always do, the updated percentages on whether or not Trump will uh, be able to finish his first term in office and whether he'll be reelected are slightly updated. We're better than that. I have no idea why I did that. I, I, you know what? Elijah Cummings is from the uh, from the grave. <laughs> Elijah Cummings from the grave has just spoken one more time. He he wanted to be heard one more time. So thank thank you for that, Elijah. We're better than that. Uh, maybe and you know what? Maybe we're better than this podcast because this this has not been our best podcast. You know what? That's what it really. This was not the best episode of the Individual One podcast, but we wanted to make sure we did one uh, for the records and so much had happened over the last several days and even today as well. So you know what? Whether by accident or by some divine intervention elijah cummings had it right there hat tip to elijah cummings but as we always end the individual one podcast i'm going to put the percentage chances of uh, donald trump not finishing his first term in office down to 12 percent. i do think that uh, the al-baghdadi thing plus the republican senate resolution has made it much more difficult to see uh, not much more difficult, but somewhat more difficult to see a scenario where Trump does not finish his first term in office. So I'm going to make that at 12 percent down from 15 percent previously. And his reelection percentage, I'm going to keep at 40 percent. Again, please, no wagering. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Individual One Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network. Network.